You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 39. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. This episode is sponsored by our new free training, Three Steps to a Flexible, High-Paying Tech Job. I'm talking about the dream job every mom wants. In it, I'll cover the requirements for a flexible job, especially if you're a mom, how to build your six-figure salary trajectory, why tech is great for moms, and why moms are great for tech. Join me this Tuesday for this helpful and fun free training, Three Steps to a Flexible, High-Paying Tech Job. Sign up at youartechie.com slash three steps. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y dot com slash the number three S-T-E-P-S. I'll see you there. Katie Dunn is the Director of Career Services at Momentum Learning, where she partners with students to help them find their dream job and with companies to help them find the talent they desire. Katie is also the CEO and founder of the Back to Business Conference, located in our great state of North Carolina. Back to Business is designed for professionals returning to the workforce after serving as a stay-at-home mom. B2B is an exceptional educational experience conducted in an annual conference and monthly workshop format to teach women about new business tools and trends, refresh their business skills, and prepare them to conduct a successful job search and connect them to local recruiters who value maturity, skills, and dedication that returning professionals bring to their careers. B2B also provides consulting to companies looking for a plan to hire returning professionals. Katie's undergraduate degree is in political science from the Catholic University of America. She has an MBA from Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business, and she spent 16 years in career services at the Keenan Flagler Business School at the University of North Carolina. Katie lives in Raleigh-Durham with her husband, Dan, and their four children. She's also the host of the podcast, Get a Job, Here's How. I know you'll get a ton of golden interviewing and returning nuggets in this episode. Katie, welcome to the show. Hey, Ellen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to dive in. I mentioned before we started recording, I have been getting some questions in my Facebook group that I know you can answer, so let's dive in. Tell us about your own career journey and then what led you to your work in back to business and your career services position at Momentum Learning. Yeah, so I actually started out my career in financial services. And after I did that for a couple of years, I liked it and I thought, all right, I need to go to business school so I can really kind of make this my career and, mm -hmm. and really rock this. And so I went to business school thinking I needed some more sort of analytical financial skills. And I went to Georgetown and took a marketing course for the first time ever. And I totally fell in love with marketing. So I said to my dad at one point, like, okay, I'm not going to be a finance major anymore here. I'm, I'm switching to marketing. And he said to me, you just don't want to make any money, do you? <laughs> 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 anyway. I really loved marketing. And so when I left business school, I moved to North Carolina with my husband and took a job at IBM in marketing. And I spent five years there 
before our family started growing and um, just decided it was really time to kind of take a step back. And so I left IBM and as I was like literally walking out the door on the last day, somebody that I worked with there said, hey, if you are looking for like a little part-time gig or something while you're home with kids. I did some admissions work at UNC Keenan Flagler's business school while I was on maternity leave. And it's a great gig. So I'll introduce you out there if you're interested. And I was like, heck yes, that sounds amazing. Because I had done that work at Georgetown as a student on the admissions committee and really loved it. So thanks to that introduction, I landed at Keenan Flagler for the next 16 years, and many of those were doing admissions work part-time, so I was essentially home with my kids. I could work while they were napping. I could work after they went to bed at night. It was great, and I kind of grew into the role and was able to conduct interviews with like thousands of people from all over the world for the business school, and really, really loved that, and then when I was ready to go back to work full-time, In 2015, I was looking around for a job and kind of discovered like, gosh, if you have been out of the full-time workforce for any number of years, it's really hard to get back in. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of surprised about that because I sort of figured I would one day be like, okay, I'm ready, world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) come and get me. And it didn't work like that. And so the more I started talking to all these different women that I knew who were really smart, talented, accomplished, highly educated, and I'm talking to all these different women, friends that I knew from different circles and saying like, gosh, I would really try to, you know, get a job. And it's so hard to get back into full-time work. Pretty much every single one of them without exception said to me, yeah, me too. And I'm thinking like, what, you? you're amazing. How how can this be happening? And so I had come up with this idea for back to business to kind of connect women who had taken career breaks and were ready to go back with companies here in our area, here in the triangle in North Carolina, because the more I talk to friends who worked at different companies, they're all telling me we need to hire more women. We're like actively looking specifically to diversify here and bring more women into the company and I'm thinking like well I know where they all are and they're really smart yeah so anyway so that's kind of how I got the idea for back to business and got started with it so just as I kind of decided I was not going to be looking for a job and I would be doing back to business full-time putting together a conference to bring together all these smart and talented women with local companies and we would educate them on how to conduct a really successful job search, what that looks like now, which may be very different for a lot of these women than the last time that they looked for a job. Right. And so kind of shortly after I decided that was going to be my work, a friend called from Carolina and said, hey, we have a job here. We want you to apply for it. We think you'd be really great. And I was like, well, thank you, but I'm not really looking for a job anymore. And they're like, uh, just come, just talk to us about it. And then you can make that decision. So I went through the interview process for a role in the career center and was offered the job and was super excited about it. So I took it and I thought, all right, I'll figure out how to do both of these things at once. And so I did that for a number of years and really loved that I was in the career center coaching MBA students on their job search and like 
how do I figure out what I want to do and how do I find that job and all that. So that was really fun and rewarding. And, and so I was there for a number of years and then left to, I did a sort of a little stint at a startup company locally and then was fortunate enough to find my current role at Momentum in Durham, which is a code school. And what I really love about it is it's all of the things that I enjoy about career services, but mm -hmm. in this entrepreneurial, fast-moving, very tech-focused environment. And so it's this like wonderful combination of all of these things that I love. Fascinating. You're a girl after my own heart because you have four kids like I do, and you like to do a ton of things. So you also have a podcast. Can you tell us about the podcast? Get a job. Here's how, I mean, obviously there's some of the same themes, but why did you start that? And, and what's the, the real goal of that podcast? Yeah. So my husband's been telling me forever, like, you need to write a book. And I, I love to write and stuff, but I yeah. was... I had always been thinking like, write a book. Well, that just sounds like, mm, no, <laughs> too much work. Um, so anyway, so I, I had gotten really into podcasts and love listening to them. I don't even listen to music when I go out for a run anymore. It's all podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. Mm -hmm. And anytime I'm in my car, I'm switching on a podcast. And so I kind of decided like podcasts are sort of the new book. Like mm -hmm. instead of taking everything you know, and getting it out there by writing a book, I would start this podcast and just do weekly episodes that way, get to talk to really amazing people who are doing cool things in the job search space. And that would be a great way to just share with people. And besides, I had no idea how to do it. And so to me, that just sounds like a big, fun challenge to sort of figure that all out and get it going. So I started this podcast and the idea is like, there's so much to talk about in job search. And so each episode, I either have a guest or I'm just sort of addressing a different job search topic myself. And it's been fascinating just to talk to a lot of really cool and interesting people and a really fun kind of adventure to do the podcast. And Ellen, you were gracious enough to come on as a guest. That was really fun to talk to you and have you tell us about everything you're doing and kind of discover a lot of the nice overlap and shared mission between what you do and what I do. And so really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was so much fun. Thanks for having me on. I love it. I mean, podcasting is great. I'm like, so the format is I talk. Yep, that sounds like me. <laughs> that sounds like what I want to do. And right, we have so much overlap because, you know, I'm helping women get jobs in tech. Oftentimes they don't have a background in tech or they haven't done it in years. And so it's different. There's so much that changes in job search. I know even for me, I just asked for the LinkedIn profile. I'm like, just send me the link, LinkedIn profile, which didn't even exist. You know, when we first started out, there was no LinkedIn that's just one way, but what are some other ways that job search has either changed or, or still the same that maybe we kind of overlook? Yeah, I think a big change is probably how much of job search is now really dependent on networking. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that idea has like been around forever. So that idea isn't new, but now I think there are kind of some new ways like LinkedIn to sort of expand your network and I don't want to say work your network because that sounds sort of like manipulative, but the idea that you have these relationships with people and you are calling on them at different 
times throughout your life or your career, and they are calling on you too. And so with your network, you're giving and you're taking maybe at different times in your career. Sometimes you'll be the person that people are reaching out to to say, hey, you work at a really cool company. Would you, you know, be able to get on the phone with me? I'd love to hear about your experience there. And sometimes you're the person who needs to reach out and say, you know, hey, I see you know this person who works at this company. Would you be able to introduce me? Because I'm really interested in a job there. So I think the idea of like having those relationships and building on them and nurturing them and, you know, giving and taking and all of that idea is so, so important in job search, probably more important than it's ever been. And in some regards, it's easier to do because we have tools like LinkedIn. And so that's really important. But just figuring out, I think, how to be a savvy LinkedIn user and participant and giver is really, really important in a job search. Because anytime you meet somebody, you reach out about a job, the first thing people are going to do is pull up your LinkedIn profile and you want them to be impressed by what they see there. Totally. I love that. And I always think it's great. Maybe I just attract guests to agree with me because I always love when they like say things that I talk about. So in my course, because we have five technical modules and five getting hired modules and then getting hired modules, I talk about how when they first start, I want them to start like tap your network week one and they never feel ready. But what's so funny then I had like on the podcast, I had like Shelly Blackburn is a a VP at Cisco. She's one of the highest ranking women at Cisco. And when she took that job, she's like, I just, I didn't feel ready. And it's just so funny to me that like learning this concept of not feeling ready is the key. It's like, you're not going to feel like you can give them something, but always, and I love that concept of giving because I always say, what value can you add to them? Maybe you just tell them like, hey, how can I help you? And I just sent one of those this week, right? Like, hey, I want to help you. Tell me how I can help you. Then that's not always an appropriate email, but it was someone I knew. And kind of this concept of like, you're not giving just to get. You give all the time to your network. And then at some point, someone will help you. You don't know who it is. You don't know which one. You're not doing it for manipulation. You just kind of give freely and you become known as someone who gives. Then you're able to kind of utilize those relationships in an authentic way. Because don't you want to work with people that you like? Don't you want to work with people that you know that are vetted? And I think it is all the more important in today's world. And and LinkedIn can be a really not great tool. Like I'll get messages all the time, you know, because my title CEO, they're like, hey, we'd like to sell you this product. And can you, you want our services? I'm like, I don't even know you, you know, that's not a good intro message. I don't know know anyone who hired, I mean, they must, it must work at some point, but it's really more like you're talking about just, you know, being a part of your network and really connecting with people. So I think that's great. Is there any like specific tangible LinkedIn aspect that you give as advice to people to say like, make sure this is done on LinkedIn or make sure you do this specific thing? Yeah, I think being just really being an active user on LinkedIn is really important because we know that sort of the LinkedIn algorithm rewards active users. Uh And so if you're somebody who just logs in once a week to sort of, you're just a a looker, right? You just see what other people are doing and then you hop off or whatever. You're going to actually get more benefit out of LinkedIn if you start participating. Mm -hmm. And Often I hear, I tell people that and they're like, oh, but I'm, I'm not an expert in something. So I really can't comment on that. 
or I don't know what I would write about. There's like nothing going on here that would be interesting. Or, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, no, that's really not right. Like think about it. Everybody knows something about something. And mm-hmm. so even if you're more comfortable just getting started by amplifying other people's messages, that's totally fine. See somebody's posted an article, read the article, make a comment on it. Say, hey, Ellen, thanks for posting. That was really helpful. I enjoyed yes. that article. Yeah. You know, like just dip your toe in the water. Just get started. And eventually, you know, people who do post things like write things on LinkedIn, that's just a great way to sort of get noticed in your field. And I promise you, you may feel like you're not an expert in something, but really, if you think about it, you definitely know things that other people don't know. Mm -hmm. And so like share your gifts with the world, let everybody in on that. So I love this story that I tell a lot when I was at Keenan Flagler working in the MBA program, we had a student who was just sort of on the side, had this fascination with drones. And Mm -hmm. so, and this was a couple of years ago before drones sort of, you know, became part of the conversation as they are now. And so it was really an emerging technology. And, and so he read a lot about them and, and went and just wrote up his own article on drones and put it out there. And the interesting thing was at the time, like there weren't a lot of people talking about that. It was very niche and very emerging. And so he wound up getting a job with GoPro in their drone department because when they are looking for people who know something about drones, there's we're not a lot of those people out there. Right. And a quick search on drones at that time would have pulled up a fairly short list of people who were writing about them. Right. So he wasn't an expert in them, but he'd read enough that he knew a lot more than the average person. Mm-hmm. And he published this article, it got noticed, boom, that just led him to be doing something he never even imagined he would get a job doing. Right. And he was just writing about what he, what he liked and what he enjoyed and what he had an experience with. So I think that's an even bigger benefit that when you're kind of authentic to who you are, you're just putting yourself in a place where you can attract those roles that are going to be really true to you and what your interests and passions are. Yes, absolutely. Love that. Okay, great tip. So that's LinkedIn. Of course, after we update our resume, our LinkedIn profile, we're looking at interviews. And I'm really curious, what advice do you have for a returner, right? So we're talking about a stay-at-home mom who's returning to the workforce. And is that different than what you would give someone who's stayed in the workforce, even if they're making a career transition? Yeah, well, I think there's sort of some foundational advice for preparing for interviews. And that would be the same almost no matter who you're talking to. And that is think about over-preparing, right? Knowing exactly how you are fit for this role and exactly what they're looking for for that role and how you match up on each of those requirements. And then having a story about some great events in your career where you have demonstrated things like leadership and teamwork, communication, like have a story for each one of those qualities that employers are looking for and practice telling it until you're happy with it. It's a good story. You're comfortable retelling it so that you're not walking into an interview and you're reciting answers to questions, but you're conversing and you've got stories that are interesting and it can be entertaining. That's great. So I think it's the advice is sort of know yourself really well mm-hmm. and know how you're a fit for this role and know exactly how you want to communicate that. 
and really over-prepare. Like if you walk into an interview and somebody feels like you're kind of not too excited to be there, why on earth would they want to hire you? So you have to know why you're there and, and why you're a good fit and, and you have to persuade them. So I think that advice is the same regardless of who is doing an interview. I think for women returning to the workforce in particular, you have to be prepared for that question of what have you been doing for the past five years or whatever when I don't see employment on your resume. So know that you're going to get that question and know that you want to have a good answer for it. And there are tons of good ways to answer this question. First, don't apologize for the choices that you've made, right? Love it. Own those choices. Mm-hmm. That's a perfectly reasonable, wonderful, admirable choice to make. I took a step back from my career to be with my family, raise kids. So mention why you made that choice, own it, don't apologize for it. Talk about the things you did during that time out of the paid workforce when you were actually probably doing things that developed skills that are going to make you a more valuable employer. If you were a stay-at-home parent, were you volunteering for things? Were you active in the schools, your church? You know, what are those things that you were doing? Because you know, stay-at-home parent, I was, that's such a misnomer because right. I know when I was a stay-at-home mom, I was never home. No, never home. We're running around, you're on the PTA, you're active at church, you're doing, like all of these things, all good stuff. And by the way, all things where you can be building job skills, just in a different context. So talk about those things. Maybe you took a course, during that time, maybe an online course, what were you reading? What kinds of things are you paying attention to? Like, that's all the kinds of things you want to be talking about when you talk about your career break. So know that you're going to get that question and have a really good answer prepared. Right. I love that. I love the don't apologize. I say that all the time. It's a great choice, right? It's many people make that choice and people who don't make that choice respect that choice. So I love that. And I find the immense amount of volunteering that people do it to be, I mean, it is just, it blows my mind. And so there's definitely, there's always something that you're building, uh, you know, a skill here or there. So that, I think that's really helpful. And I think that oftentimes people just want to know it's okay. What I tell people is if you don't feel comfortable explaining your gap to a company, you probably don't really want to work at that company. Like they should honor that decision you made. And if not, then, then that's not the right place for you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Everybody makes different choices. And I think now with our pandemic situation, like people are just doing all kinds of different things and there's been a lot of layoffs. And so, you know, honestly, a a break in your employment doesn't have to mean you can't ever go back or anything. It can be a really refreshing time to refocus yourself, to make some decisions about having a different career when you go back, all good stuff. So hopefully we get to the point in the world where a career break is just a normal part of a long and successful career for people if they choose to to do that. 
Right. I, I read a survey recently. It's something like 80% of current workforce plans to take a break because now, I don't know if I want to say millennials are focused on this, but a lot of times there's a extended travel break too that people want to take, that they, they want to travel for a while. I've met lots of people who do that, not all millennials. But so I think that career break is becoming more common. And I'm in this space. So I talk to people who work with returners all the time. So if you think that there's not an option for you, I, there is. There are so many people, the mom project, Katie with her back to business, the power to fly is a great, very flexible jobs, amazing jobs though. They have great ones there. I work with retire. They, they have returner programs like only for returners. There's just so many people that understand this is the way to get a great workforce. So it's really, I think a positive out there. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Okay, so I just want to hang out on interviewing just for one more minute because, you know, nothing quite sparks the fear in someone's heart in our community, women and moms specifically like interviewing. Why do you think interviewing is so scary? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of people who would rather have a tooth pulled than go to an interview, but it's sort of a contrived situation, right? So worst case, you're sort of sitting there, maybe you're facing a panel of people and they're shooting questions at you and you have to talk about how great you are and all these things you've done and you don't want to say the wrong thing. So maybe we can just start looking at this a little bit differently, like just sort of reframe the whole situation into this is your opportunity to talk about your life's work and how great it is and the choices you've made and why you would be a great fit here. Mm-hmm. And so, so you do have to be comfortable talking about yourself and talking about, yeah, how great you are. <laughs> and, and you have to balance that with being humble about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tricky balance to strike. And I think that women in particular were not always maybe great at sort of naming our strengths and really like claiming them and owning them. Mm-hmm. And it can be uncomfortable to say, I'm really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Or here's an area where I really excel. And so I think those are things you have to practice saying that out loud. You have to get comfortable with that kind of language coming out of your mouth. And, and if you can do that, and if you approach an interview less as like an interrogation and more as a conversation where we're exploring if this is the right fit for me, and for you, then hopefully it evolves to the point where it's more of a conversation. Questions are being asked, you are providing answers, there are follow-up questions, you're asking them questions. Think of it as a two-way street, as sort of an exploration of, is this the right place for me? Am I the right hire for you? And less as like, oh, I'm going to get grilled today and being put on the spot and weirdly interviewing is one of those things that if you do it a lot, you get better at it, but nobody mm-hmm. wants to do it a lot. Right, so, right. Um, but that's where I think the networking piece comes in really handy because if you walk into an interview and, and the setup is like somebody internally has referred you, someone there has said, Hey, I want you to talk to my friend Ellen. She'd be really great for this role then you're walking in already like you've already you know got one check in your box right mm-hmm. you've you've been vouched for and everybody wants to hire somebody that is a little more of a safe choice 
And so that's where working that network can really help set you up for success, even as you're walking into an interview setting. That's great. That's great advice. Okay, so this is a question that I, I pretty much, I like to ask all my guests because you talked about having a story, you talked about getting ready, but what are just two questions you think moms should prepare for? We call them like, what are your two secret weapon interview questions that you, for you probably what you would advise that someone might see? What are the questions they should be preparing for? Yeah. Well, if you're returning to the workforce, 100%, you need a great answer for what have you been doing while you were out of the workforce? Promise you that you're going to get that question. Mm -hmm. And I think another one is a question about, tell me a time when you failed at something, mm -hmm. something didn't go your way. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that can sort of strike panic into people's hearts, I think, mm -hmm. because it feels like a landmine, like, oh my gosh, now I have to tell them a time when I mess something up that's gonna make me look really bad. And so there's good ways to answer that question. I think that can help portray you in a positive light mm -hmm. because we've all failed at something. We've all missed a deadline at some point or got something not right on a project or dropped a detail or something. It's happened to everybody. You're not human unless you have that experience at some point. So you do have to provide an honest answer to that question. And I think that's also part of what they're gauging is like, can you own it when you do make a mistake? Mm -hmm. Because nobody wants to work with somebody who's always right and it's never their fault and they're not accountable for things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you, you set up sort of the context of that question. Like, well, it was happened when I was working at this place and my job was to do this. Mm -hmm. And then talk about, you know, what it was that happened. Well, I missed a deadline on this and own it, right? They want to hear that you sort of went to the boss or to the team or to the client and said, hey, this happened. It's my fault. I take responsibility for this. And here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to change and do differently so that this doesn't happen again. And so I think you can tell a story like that. Talk about what you learned from that. And you can wind up looking like somebody who, A, made a mistake, but B, owned it, made it right learned from it and has made sure it never happens again. And that can wind up being a real win for you. Right. That's great. And I mean, in reality, who doesn't make a mistake? That's impossible, yeah. right? We, we all do. So maybe you might've just already answered this, but what do you think? I mean, you talk to companies all the time. What do you think, especially in the technical space, what do you think employers are looking for most out of their candidates? Yeah, I think mostly they're looking for somebody who's going to be a good teammate, somebody who you would want to come into the office, although that's not really a thing right now, but hopefully <laughs> it will be again in the future. Somebody you would enjoy a lot of your day with because they do what they say they're going to do. They're enjoyable to be around. They're taking initiative. They're always improving they're focused on getting the work done. They're focused on whether that's your client or your product or your project, whatever that role is, they know what they have to do and they get it done and they're fun to be around. So that all sounds a little like, oh yeah, they're fun to be around. But honestly, there are so many things that can be a deal breaker when you're in an interview process. And a lot of them just go back to like, is this, like, is this someone I want to work with? If you can't pass that test, 
you're just not going to pass the interview process. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the hard skills that they're looking for, if you can't check the box on being a good teammate, it's just not going to happen. Right. That's great advice. And I think it's really undervalued because I think we often think, well, that's not enough. Well, okay, it might not be enough, but it's the starting point. Because if you're awful to be around, it's a no-go. I mean, they're just, right. And there's too much talent and skills and ability to learn that you can find someone with less skills who can, you know, skill up, who's a lot more pleasant to be around. That's great. I love that answer. So we refer to you, how you talk to companies a lot. Let's just talk about you. What do you like best about your job? And then what do you find most challenging? Yeah, let's say. What I like best about it, I think it's just the chance to work with some really interesting people. I love at Momentum, our students have this wonderful range of like career experience, life experience, and educational experience. And so for me, it's really neat to work with people who are, you know, maybe decided to come to code school instead of going to college. And then we've also got folks who worked for 20 years and had a career and decided they wanted to make a change and learn how to code. So I like that they're all so different and really bring something unique to the table. So for me, that's a really fun part of it. Also, just being in touch with sort of the business community, the tech and entrepreneurial community here in Raleigh-Durham is really exciting to me because there's so much going on in this space. It's really neat to see companies that are getting funded and new things springing up and companies that are growing even in the middle of this pandemic. So those are the things I think I really love about my job. I would say what's challenging about it is that we are in the middle of a global pandemic and that's definitely impacted the job market. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working with students who are looking for jobs and Mm -hmm. they are looking for essentially junior or associate level software engineering roles And they are still out there. There are definitely companies that are growing and adding these types of roles. And I'm hopeful to see more companies coming on board with loosening up the reins on hiring in the near future. But a lot of companies have put in hiring freezes and some are doing layoffs. And so it's just a challenging job market right now. And that's probably the biggest challenge that I'm dealing with. And we don't, we don't know, right? There's uncertainty. So the companies are uncertain and the job candidates are uncertain. So that makes everyone just feel a little bit nervous. I do like to tell people though, just because you're inexperienced, you actually come at a lower price point and sometimes that can be an advantage. So, you know, because often people, when they're new, they like to think, well, I'm less valuable, but it actually in this type of environment, you could be more valuable. In any circumstance, we're always trying to kind of figure out what works, but I'd like to say don't lose hope because that can be a a positive when companies do come back and they start hiring and they're more comfortable. Sure, they'll want some senior people, but uh, a way to kind of save money is to um, hire some of these junior level people. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a market for these roles and a lot of companies routinely hire juniors and that's wonderful. They're like often young and hungry and they're really willing to learn and, um, and the price point is good for companies. So there's definitely a market out there for them. Right. Great. That's awesome. Okay. So I'd love to know, I'll put this in two parts and let you kind of balance it out, but what advice would you give? And first it's what advice would you give to someone who's considering a career in tech let's say specifically software development, and that's kind of generally, and then if you could speak to this returner group, let's just say someone's in their 40s, 
which you and I know is super young, right? Super young. <laughs> and, um, but I just have this question recently, but they're stay at home and they're going to return to tech. Again, let's just say software development. What advice would you give to someone who's still in that deciding phase and trying to figure out, is this the right path for me? Should I make that leap and really skill up in this way? Yeah, I would say the first piece of advice would be talk to people who are doing the job that you're considering doing and ask them, what do you do every day? What's it like? What are the specific things you're working on? Right? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Ask a couple of different people in the field about what they do and the company that they work for so that you really understand what the job is. Then secondly, I would say the piece of advice is upskill. Like it's all about the skills and tech. And there are lots of ways to get those skills. Mm -hmm. So maybe you worked in software development a long time ago and you took a break and now you want to come back. Well, I just understand that things change really rapidly in this field. And so talk to people about what's the skill set, right? What are the skills I need when I plug back into the workforce? Where's going to be the best place for me to do that? And what are the skills I need to get there? And then make a plan to go and get those skills. And that can be code school. That's a great option. A program like yours is a great option. There are lots of, you know, courses. If you just need a quick refresher, mm -hmm. you can do that online, often very inexpensively. So there's lots of different ways to do it. But definitely take the initiative to do the upskilling and to know that you're upskilling in the right areas. Right. That's great. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? So your you, momentum, and I'm, I'm going to um, have you share your information and then momentum so people can find you. People could say, oh, well, you're, you know, why would you have momentum on? You're competing. But what I found is that there are just different people who need different things. And I've actually had women in my program who've done code schools before or done design boot camps, and then they needed more time to kind of go over things and develop their assets more, or maybe they do mine and then do a boot camp. There are just so many different ways to go, or maybe they're just different scenarios, right? Different price points, different involvements, and I'll let you speak to your code school and what it means, but I, I think it's really important for people to understand that there are lots of paths and that your path is probably not going to look exactly like someone else's so that having all these great options, I think it's the way to go is just to have a few different things. Like I know a lot of times people in my community will start, they'll take a $10 course at Udemy. Nothing wrong with a $10 course at Udemy. That's going to help you learn a skill. But if you want to get hired, you're probably going to need to amp up your learning in some way, right? But that might be a really low barrier way to say, is it fun? Is it cool? Though I love your personal advice to talk to people in the field doing the work. I think that's great advice. So, okay, Katie, I would love to know where can people find you specifically if they would like to, and then just tell them where they can find momentum and maybe a little bit more about the programs or programs that you offer so they, they understand if it's something they want to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, if you're interested in back to business for women returning to work, you can find us online at backtobusinessconference.com and you can sign up for our email newsletter there and then you'll be informed about events that we do and different things that are going on. And then for momentum, um, you can email info at momentumlearn.com or you can find us at MomentumLearn.com. And so Momentum is a coding bootcamp, as Ellen mentioned. 
And it's a 16-week program. We're based in Durham, North Carolina, but we're currently operating virtually due to COVID-19. And not sure when we'll be able to get back into the classroom, but looking forward to that time. And until then, we'll have either a fully remote option or just the option to go remote if we do go back into the classroom and have students who aren't comfortable being in that setting. Mm -hmm. But it's a program that trains people with the skills of an associate or a junior level software developer. The program goes through HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Python, Django, and the last portion of the course is project-based. So students are working in teams, they're actually developing a software app. It's great. And we've got some nice relationships with local companies too, so we know where the jobs are in that space. So that's where you can find us. Katie Dunn, thank you so much. I always enjoy our conversations. Come back anytime. Oh, thanks, Ellen. Great to talk to you. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at uartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.